turn in your, um, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to go to the next church at Philadelphia today, verse 7. And um, boy, th this is a message I, I enjoyed putting this together in a way that um, I, I, I'm excited about it for a couple of reasons. Um, we'll look at this message to the, the young church at City of Philadelphia in Revelation 3. Um, one of those things you get to do as a manager uh, is you get to give good news and good things once in a while. This last week I was going through uh, the people I'm responsible for and their merit increases, compensation, people like to be paid. Um, and going through and, and adjusting that and I'll be able to deliver that message to them and the news that they get a raise in, uh, in, in a few weeks. Um, I love that. That's a good time when you can sit down with employees and do that. Um, the ones that I don't like are those when you have to sit down and go through something that's difficult to deliver. You don't like to tell people of those things they need to adjust, maybe in their habits and, and the way they do their things. We do a performance adjustment kind of thing, um, development. I had to do that. I did not love it at all, um, but it was better than firing the guy. Uh, so I did that, and it turned out well. Um, and I can imagine John getting these messages that he's having to deliver to these churches. Jesus is giving him these messages a number of them, most of them, are messages that say you need to make some adjustments. Not happy news to deliver. And John has written these things down to be delivered to these churches for the purpose of their edification and encouragement. But they need to make some adjustments. This is a good one today. So thankfully, this is one where God's delivered a message to the church at Philadelphia with uh, encouragement. And I hope this message is an encouragement to you. Um, the responsibility of a preacher is to deliver the message that God has given us. Um, sometimes part of those messages are difficult to deliver because you know it may pierce the heart and there's some pain. Just like you as a parent, sometimes you have to talk to your kids about things that they may not like to hear and you don't like to say. Um, but we should still say them. Uh, just never hold back on that because that's the message God's given to you to say. Uh, we've had several churches we've talked through uh, recently. The Ephesian church, you have abandoned your first love. Now that's got to be a difficult message to hear. The church at Pergamum, you hold on to a false doctrine. The church at Thyatira, you tolerate sin in your midst and the lure of Jezebel. We heard that last week. The church at Sardis, your works are not complete, and you're dead. And next week, we get to hear about the church at Laodicea, pastor will deliver, about your works are lukewarm. This one is encouraging today. John was able to write down a message for Philadelphia that just must have been a relief for him to deliver to that church. And we're going to talk through that today. So before we get started here, um, let's just read through this, and then we'll pray in verse 7 of chapter 3, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. 
Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I've loved you. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world to try those who dwell in the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you, God, for your delivery of this message to this specific church, but to us as well. God, that you have a message here for us to hear. Open our hearts to those words, Lord, and help us to hear what you have for us to hear today. God, that we would be faithful and true, continuing in the works that you've called us to. And may your spirit move in our hearts in the way you need us to do today. In Jesus' name I pray these things. And amen. Now on the overhead, I'm going to have him put up here just a second. We've had this review of the churches here. Uh, if you've got that map up there that I can see, we put this up here again to just reorient us to what the churches are that he is speaking about. Now, if you want to spend a little bit more time, one of the letters to Ephesus kind of speaks to that area. And some of these letters were sent around. Whether they visited them or not, these letters were ways that they would communicate. And so we see the church at Ephesus here. And the, the circle is you get, you get Sardis and Pergamum, Thyatira, you're down to Philadelphia here, and then the last one, Laodicea. So this circle goes through some mountain ranges. There's some uh, uh, paths and roads down through here to trade. And if you were to go through this area and enter along this road in this inland trade route, you would find yourself coming into this town, just like many of them, on a dirt road or a rock road where there's herds of cattle and sheep going to the markets, taken to the shops where they could sell their goods. Many of these towns were much like that. There were people who would come from far away to pay homage and sacrifices in these temples that they would have in these cities of ornate design to worship and plead uh, from specific deities. But those deities would be of wood and stone. And they'd try to be heard. They do everything they could to be heard by those gods. But you wouldn't find big cathedrals and churches like we have today to the one true God, Yahweh. The so-called Christian sect, that little Christian group, they were the outcasts. Um, and they would have to meet in homes, sometimes in fields, just wherever they could just to be away from maybe the mockery of the other people. The Romans and Greeks, they thought of themselves as very highly educated, sophisticated people. And they'd have all kinds of elaborate ceremonies and rituals that they would do to their gods. And so they had to put up with all of that going around them, these Christians. And then because many of them were converted Jews, 
they still had family in the Jewish synagogue. And once you became a Christian, there were a lot of wounds and battles and conflict between them just because of those family connections that they would have. The ability for them just to do their daily work and, and make a living and, and buy and sell became difficult for a humble Christian, let alone try to win other souls to Jesus Christ. So for a Christian in Philadelphia, life was, was difficult at best. In some areas, you could, you could face yourself being put in prison for what you knew. It might be easier for them on their families. Just think of yourself as a parent having to go through this with your kids. It would be easier just to go along and compromise. Maybe show some outward signs that you would worship these deities as well. Maybe you go there once in a while just to pay respect. But Jesus has some wonderful words of encouragement for these fledgling Christians struggling. And it has no condemnation for these people at Philadelphia. Just hope, encouragement, and acknowledgement that God knows exactly what you're going through. And he has a reward for that. In verse 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write this, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who, set, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Each message to these churches starts out with a description of the one who is delivering this message, the one who is speaking. You'll notice that every time it's a different characteristic or trait of the Son of God. And it undergirds the very message he's trying to give to them. So when you take a look at each one of these, do it again. Take a look at exactly how he describes himself in each one of these churches. This one says, I am the Holy One. The true one. Unlike any of these other gods around you that you have to deal with, these worshipers are clinging to the gods of wood and stone and none of them can offer any hope to you. One author says the primary god for this area was a name by Anahita or Aniatus. It was kind of an Eastern religion mixed god, goddess of royalty, water, and fertility. You could find other gods or goddesses. Just take your pick, you know, the one that you would like to have, but none of them could answer anyway. Just pick that one. Um, Jesus says he is the Holy One, the true one. And he's telling them that he is the one set apart by being the Holy One. That is unique. Unlike any other, God is, is the one who can answer. He alone is real. These other ones have no power. He is the one that has power. He's also true in that what he says you can trust. Uh, when he makes a promise or says that something's about to happen, you can believe it. This is not a God of wood or stone. And he promised the disciples, when you remember he walked on the earth, that he would send them the Holy Spirit to comfort and guide them once he was gone. He promised that, and it happened. He promised they would face persecution. And they did. He promised he would sit at the right hand of the Father and receive them to himself. And he will. Jesus alone can forgive sins and offer hope in this life and in heaven to come. 
None of the other false gods pushed by that society around them, or our society, by the way, can do anything for them. Only God can do that. Our God can do that. And Jesus, it says another thing here, it says Jesus has the key of David. Now this is an interesting phrase, the way it says this. It says he can open, he opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now you might think of this looking like a little bit of one of those riddles of Gollum or something. You're trying to figure out what is he talking about? I have a key, uh, no one opens and shuts, you know, what is this all about? But it's a reference back to uh, a section on Isaiah where there's a court administrator who's become a little bit too high and mighty for himself. Um, and God's taking away that authority he has, his key. It references his key. And he gives it to another, Hekiah. He says, I will clothe him with your robe and I will strengthen him with your belt and commit your responsibility into his hand. I'm giving him the key. And what he opens, no one will shut. And what he shuts, no one will open. It's that authority that's given by God. And you remember this verse, Matthew 28, 18. It says that Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It's the verse right before giving that responsibility to go out and make disciples of all nations. But he has that ability because he's been given that authority. Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. His will cannot be overcome. He has the sovereignty over the affairs of this life, over the affairs of our government, over the affairs of everything going on, authority of any kind. That is our Jesus. And he has the key to forgive and to give eternal life. What a comfort to the people of Philadelphia to know that. For the Christian in Philadelphia that's struggling, they need to hear this. And that reassurance that he is fully able and his will will be done. He gives them further assurance. Now that would be enough. But in verse 8 he says, I know your works. But hold, I've set before you an open door. Here it is again, that open door. No one's able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, in, in this verse, we see a remarkable and comforting attribute of our Savior, Jesus. And he says it twice. I know. That little phrase should speak volumes to you and me. I know. Sometimes we just need to know that God knows. You know? <laughs> we just need to know that we're not alone in that. We, we, we spend a lot of time doing things we're supposed to do in our lives. We, we take care of our families. We do our chores. We pay our taxes. Yay, I did that. Did everybody pay your taxes? You get to do those things. And we do our best to help our neighbors, our friends, kids, all those types of things. Um, and it, sometimes we just get overwhelmed with all of those things we're supposed to do. Those difficulties, like having a stressful day at work, or maybe a week, or a month, or a year at work. Um, and we're still trying to help other people. Or maybe we're struggling to get through a day taking a, care of a, a sick family member, and a lot of you have, have done that. 
maybe an older person, a younger person in your family, and, and you just get that, it's just pressing on you. Maybe you have a baby of a husband who has a cold, and he's really just wimpy, um, and they need to be taken care of. And you just, I'm trying to do all these things, and I just wonder. The Christians being pressured from all sides, and, and yet continuing to be faithful to God's word, showing and love and, and help to other people, and doing those fruits of the Spirit that we're supposed to do. But it can get discouraged when you just don't seem to get noticed for those things. You know? Let alone get rewarded for them. So, so, so Jesus' simple words here, I know your works describes that intimate care and personal concern for everything you're doing. He knows exactly what you're doing. And for, for the people of Philadelphia, again, they needed to hear that. Um, the God of this creation knows your works. He sees everything you're doing. And when you wonder if anyone cares, he does. He does. Again, he shows that he's all-powerful to keep a door open and, and no one can shut. And there's no one that can stand against him. And he reassures them again that they have a path set before them. When the world's closing in on you and on them, and there seems like no hope and you're stuck in a corner, you just don't know what your path is in life. If we feel trapped, it can get discouraging, can't it? Feel a little bit in despair. Take courage. God has an open door set for you. It's there. That's the God we serve. He always has an open door. And he says, I know you don't have much power. I know that. And yet, look, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. The Spirit of God knows and he searches your heart. He understands everything that you're going through and knows when you're lying down, when you're getting up. He knows the good, the bad, everything about you. And when we go to him in prayer, he already knows what we're going to ask. He says, I know the things you need before you even ask. I'm already there. I already have a plan for you. I already have the solution and a path for you and a doorway for you to go right through. And no one can shut that door. No one. For the most of the rest of, this, of this, this passage of Scripture, again, he's revealing more about himself. And we're going to take a look at a few more of these things. When you read these messages to the churches, one of the things you've got to look at is, is look at what God is showing of himself. He's not only showing us a little bit of revelation of what is and what is to come, but it's much about his own character and who he is. Verse 7 showed he's holy and true and sovereign. Verse 8 showed us he's, he's all-knowing. He's powerful. He understands. He recognizes our work. He's very intimate. Now, verse 9 begins to show us a little bit about his justice. It says, Behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I'll make them come and bow before your feet. And they'll learn that I love you. He said the same thing to the church at Smyrna. And that's an encouraging letter as well. You can read that one again. 
But to call them a synagogue of Satan, now that, that can seem pretty harsh. But remember when Jesus, this is the same Jesus that walked on the earth, and he had very harsh words to say to those hypocrites. They called themselves the chosen. Whitewashed tombs and hypocrites, he called them. In Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as, he, as yourselves. You're taking one of mine and you're making them a child of hell as well. Woe to you. This is the words of Jesus, the same Jesus that's speaking here to this church. In verse 34, he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of you will, you will kill and crucify, and some you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. It happened. And, and so Jesus, again, here is calling again to those pretend Jews who are persecuting his own children. Now, outwardly, they're putting on garments that look good of righteousness, right? Um, but inwardly, they're still unrepentant, unwashed people, lost. And they mistakenly seek to hurt the very children of God, his own people. So it may sound harsh, but this is God's children. God's a jealous God for his people. He is. He loves you so dearly and he is jealous to protect you. He shows us this justice here. And so we don't have to worry when the world seems to set against themselves against us. Look, we're not going to see this church flourish forever here. This is not the way it will always be. And praise God we're in a place where we can talk about building programs and growing. And thankfully, we're going to do that. And, and I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. But when things start to get tough and the world starts to work against you, we don't have to worry about that. God will take care of it. It's an encouraging verse. Um, just remain faithful during this period of time. Stay faithful and trust him. Keep his word growing Christ as he's called us to. Because in the end it says, they will learn that I have loved you. They'll see it. So not only will God take care of things during it all, but at the end, he will compel others to see it as well. He will see the truth. Praise God for that. Verse 10. We keep going. gets better and better. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And in addition to being a just Savior, he's, he's talking about this, Jesus, a Savior who loves to reward his children. Um, because you've kept my word in patience. He, he's looking for us to be patient. Just wait. Why? Because it shows that we trust him. We can be patient. We believe him. And we don't need to take matters into our own hands. It, in our own strength, we can, we can try on to take the enemies of, of Christ in our own hands. We can do all we can. We can, we can act out in, in all kinds of righteous indignation and, and sue everybody around us and, and try to get all that done ourselves. But in 1 John 5, it says this. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. 
Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Hmm. So don't worry. And Jesus recognized that the Philadelphia believers had patiently endured through all of this. And they'd continue to do the works that God had called them to do. As a result, he promised to keep them from an hour of trial. Now, I've read different commentaries on exactly what this means. You may see different things as well. Whether it refers to a tremendous persecution and suffering that was coming soon, or to the great tribulation that's mentioned later in the book of Revelation. Or both. I've heard seen both. Regardless, and they had suffered through a major earthquake just some decades before that. So they knew suffering. They, they were not unfamiliar with it. It's not like they had to look for it. But what he's really promising here, and this is the focus I want you to see, is what the promise is, is a reward for keeping in patience, keeping his word. Through all that, don't worry about what that, that tribulation looks like. Keep his word and be patient through it. Jesus, as he told the church in Smyrna the same way, that they would be tested for a period of time and thrown into jail and be faithful unto death, he said, and I'll give you the crown of life. And they, they would not be harmed by that second death. All of that is a promise of reward. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal glory. Amen. It's a light moment. Yes, it is difficult. We don't make light of what we're, the difficulties we go through. But just compare it to what we'll, we'll be rewarded with. Jesus gave us a picture of what's coming. It's not all fun and games. We might struggle from here to the end of our days to love each other, to, to teach our children what we're supposed to teach them, uh, continue to do that, to tell others about Jesus, to spread the gospel. But he holds the crown of life. It's waiting for you. And he says, he's coming soon. Look at that. Look at that. Verse 11. Look at that. It says, verse 11, I am coming soon. So hold fast to what you have so no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. I am coming soon. Jesus, full of compassion and care for his children, sees everything. He says, I'm not going to leave you in this forever. He not only knows and understands what they're going through, he promises to come again soon. Jesus knows the suffering. He experienced it in loads while he walked this earth. He was fully man. And he gives them hope. To this church in Philadelphia, instead of having to exhort them to do something, like, come back to me, or get rid of doctrine that's false and corrupting you, 
Jesus gives them a new, fresh glimpse of hope. And we need that, don't we? Your Savior is coming again. He's coming soon. And hold on to what you have. It's a picture of someone just grabbing hold of that rope and holding tight. But instead of doing it yourself, we have the Spirit of God to help us hold on. We don't do it ourselves. We do it in the Spirit of God's strength. And so when we go through those difficult days, remember the Spirit of God is the one who helps you hold on. Keep doing those works. Um, the fruit of the Spirit was what he's looking for. And it makes us stronger when we go through these things. Jesus, when he began this letter through John to the church at Philadelphia, began by recognizing the works that they were going through in faith. And, and though they have little strength, and their lives are continuing to be a struggle, and will continue to be a struggle, they should keep doing those things. Don't let anyone rob you of the crown of righteousness that's waiting for you in heaven. Jesus said in Luke 2, Do not lay, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. For there where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, we, we, we don't focus on the here and now. We do the works but we lay those treasures up in heaven because that ultimately is our reward for going through all of the difficulties we do here. So hold on. Jesus is coming soon. And if he doesn't come before you and I are gone, guess what? All of our treasures are stored up there. Right there with us, with our Savior in heaven. And we get to stand before him and enjoy those forever. He promises a reward as an overcomer to be a temple a pillar in this temple of God. In a number of places in Scripture, um, his church is referred to as a building. He's the church chief uh, cornerstone, isn't he? The overcomer here is promised this recognition, and prominence, just like we're, we'd say someone's a pillar in the community. Someone like that. It's prominence. Well, guess what? He will recognize us, you, and me, in the, right in the throne room of God himself. What a fantastic day. Now, if you've been watching the Olympics, what a fantastic thing for someone to get a medal and stand on the podium. But what greater thing is it for us to stand in front of the throne of God and be recognized by Jesus himself as this is my child. Welcome home to heaven. This is your home forever. What a day. It just makes me think of that, day, uh, that song. What a day it will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. That is the glorious heaven that we have. Amen. In fact, there's one final promise. He speaks both the authority of Jesus and the security he gives. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, and my own name. Jesus has all authority. He has the right to claim his flock as his own. 
He is the good shepherd who will gather us together and say, these are all mine. <laughs> and the passage gives us three names he puts on us. One, the name of God himself. Two, the name of the city, New Jerusalem. And three, his own new name. These are three things, just basically, in a nutshell, that identify us with himself. And say, puts a stamp on us and says, this is my child. They belong here. This is the citizen of heaven forever. Verse 13 says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he just concludes this message like most of the others. This is not only for the church at Philadelphia, but for all of us as well. For every church that was listening to this and seeing this message at that time is for us as well. So listen to the words of encouragement that Jesus gives you. The daily living, the persecution, the, the struggles, all those types of things, he's got a reward for you in the end. So when we're worn out, struggling a little bit, some days are like that, some days are great, some days are not, how do we keep doing the good works that God has called us to do? I'm just going to give you three quick things. And there's a lot here. You could spend some time on this. One, stand on the promises of God. Trust Him. He is trustworthy. Two, be faithful to do His Word through His Holy Spirit to continue. And three, encourage each other. One of the reasons we come here today is to glorify God, but to encourage each other as well, right? So when you're here, don't think you're just here for yourself. You're here to encourage each other. You're here first to glorify God, but you're here to encourage each other. I, I, I spend a lot of time afterwards, and some of you are here till the lights go off. That's wonderful. Um, Stay here as long as you want to. Come early. Spend time during the week. Encourage each other. Because, boy, don't we need encouragement. I mean, look, you, you and I both are in this world that's going to continue to be this way until the end. And we need to help each other along the way. We do. We need to encourage each other any way we can do that to help each other through. Second, how can we respond when the world presses us to compromise? They did this to Philadelphia. We talked about that. The others around them, the culture, everything, their own families even that were split apart because of what they believed. And some of you are like this, I know. How do you do it without compromising? Um, again, you can come up with a lot of things here. First, uh, Colossians 3.2 says this, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. That's where we go first. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. You might want to take that verse and just learn that one. If you've been raised with Christ, 
seek those things that are above, not on the earth. We can get caught up in all the things that are going on around us and the concerns and the struggles that we have and we, we get focused here, don't we? We get focused around us here and we can forget where the glory of Christ is. So stop right then when you get there and seek those things above, just like Colossians 2, 3, 2 says. The last thing. Does the reward of heaven and his promise of everlasting life give you comfort? It should. When we've placed our trust in him and we believe in him, Jesus took our, our lives into his own family forever and he wants you to know that the battle is finished. It's done. You can have confidence in that. So, that reward of heaven should give you some reassurance to continue to go through those things and to be comforted through those struggles. If you've not yet decided to follow Jesus Christ and put your life into his hands, you might be prodded to do that, even today. What's holding you back? What's stopping you? Why not today? Because without him... There is no hope of everything we've just talked about. You're already condemned. Again, one of those truths I don't like to say, but needs to be said. It is true. And if you're not sure that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't know exactly what that's about, and you say, well, I've been doing this for so long, and I'll look a little weird asking for some help. Look, the alternative is going without Christ and you don't want to do that. But with Christ, there is hope. So let's talk. I'll help you any way I can. Boy, I'm excited about it because I have the hope of Jesus Christ who sits on the throne and has a reward for you and for me. With him, there is peace and forgiveness. Would you stand with me for, for just a moment? Um, We're not closing yet, but I just want to pray, okay? This is an opportunity for you just to spend a moment and reflect on what was said today. That Jesus Christ gives us that reassurance from the very throne of heaven that we have hope in him. Through the daily struggles, all those things that you have been going through or will go through in your life, God has an open door for you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've delivered today, a message of hope for the church at Philadelphia, but for also for us. God, for we go through things. Lord, you already know our works. You know the struggles of our heart, everything we've done this week, the things that will happen next week. And we thank you for that. God, that we know that you know. And for each person in this room, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of them to understand that, that they are not without a door that's open for them. And sometime in their life, they'll need to learn to love that open door and go through that if they have not already. God, that you would encourage a person here who has not placed their faith and trust in you to do so today. God, don't let them leave here without making that choice. Father, for each one of us, I, I just pray that you would encourage us to continue to do the works that you have called us to, 
to do those things, to encourage others, to, to love others, to serve, to glorify you, all those things each day this week. God, help us to be faithful to you. And thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. God, for shedding your blood, for covering our sins, for taking it upon yourself, and then for rising again to give us hope of eternity. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.